Let's open at our Bibles to that epistle of Galatians, the epistle of war of the New Testament of the Apostle Paul against the Jewish legalists. Galatians chapter 1, let's turn to that first chapter. Our poor beloved brother had to spend so much of his time, truly a waste, but God ordained to preserve many of his writings for us that involve that fight against Jewish legalists. In chapter 1 of Galatians, he starts out very quickly by saying in verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. I say to you on the authority of this text and other texts, you're either a Christian or a Sabbatarian. You can't be both. If you're a Sabbatarian, you're not a Christian. If you worship on Saturday, you can't call yourself a Christian because you have turned away from Christ back to Moses. You've turned away from Mount Zion back to Mount Sinai. You've turned away from the reality back to the shadow. You've turned away from a heavenly tabernacle and a finished sacrifice to a worldly sanctuary and an unfinished sacrifice, and on and on it goes. These verses tell us that it's not the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. I marvel that you are so soon removed. And what had these Galatians done? They had added to the finished work of Jesus Christ the works of the law, as particularly circumcision in this book. But this book also mentions days, months, times, and years in the fourth chapter. Look at chapter 4. And verse 19, you can't have Christ and the Sabbath. You have to give up one to have the other. Because they're contrary the one to the other. The Sabbath was simply pointing to Jesus. Jesus was, is the fulfillment of it. You can't have them both. How can you have the shadow and the substance? If you've got the shadow, you don't have the real thing. If you've got the real thing, who cares about the shadow? Amen. We'll see it further. But look at Galatians 4 and verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. These are baptized believers. These are Christians in the book of Galatians. But they have turned away from the gospel to add the works of Moses to the works of Christ. And Paul says, I need to form Christ in you again. So from verses like this, I take the liberty of saying you can't have them both. Either you're a Christian or you're a Sabbatarian. Either you have Christ or you have the Sabbath. But the two don't go together. Because if you've got the Sabbath, Paul wants to form Christ in you again, like he did the first time at your conversion. It's not a matter of liberty. God has not left us, left it to us to decide what day we are going to worship on. You say, but I remember in Romans chapter 14 that it says one man esteems a day unto the Lord, and to the Lord he does esteem it, and another man doesn't esteem a day to the Lord, and to the Lord he doesn't esteem it. That's a matter of liberty. During that period of Reformation, if someone that was still infatuated with the Jewish system of religion wanted to keep some day of rest on the Sabbath, they could go ahead and do it. If they wanted to keep some Passover day, go ahead and keep it. But you will worship on the first day of the week because that is the day of the New Testament. That is the Lord's day. That is the day commanded and commended by the apostles as the day of worship for Gentile Christians. Now, if you want to go waste another day of the week because you adore Jewish superstition, then go ahead and keep that day. 
That's what Romans 14 is about. Let's go very quickly. Our time, we're going to stay on time today, but let's remember some things that we covered last week very quickly and then go to some new ones. Do you remember the lesson of Nehushtan? Nehushtan. A thing of brass. Brassy. A thing of brass. Moses raised up a brazen serpent to save Israel from fiery serpents. After Israel was saved from the fiery serpents by looking at the brazen serpent Moses had made, they kept that thing around for another 800 years and burned incense to it until good young 25-year-old Hezekiah got his hands on it and chopped it in pieces and called it Nehushtan, a thing of brass. They thought that there was some residual religious value in keeping it because it had saved Bitten Israelites alive from fiery serpents. But that was the only reason it had been prepared by Moses. It had no other value. And so we say to Sabbatarians, Nahushtan, you've taken an ordinance of the nation of Israel and pulled it 2,000 years forward. It no longer has any value. It was only for the nation of Israel until Christ came. Nahushtan. The Apostle Paul would call Jewish legalists in Philippians chapter 3, He would call them dogs, evil workers, and the concision. The concision being a really nasty term that the Apostle Paul was using for the sacred rite of circumcision. Circum means you cut in a nice neat circle all the way around so that the foreskin falls off. Circumcision. But Paul said, you guys are nothing but the concision. You're body mutilators. The concision. This is the Holy Spirit of God. And I love every word of the Bible. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. And then Paul goes forward to explain that he was talking about Jewish legalists. We say to Sabbatarians, you're not the concision because you're not body mutilators that way. You're just calendar idolaters. You look at a calendar and pick a day and that becomes your idol. Paul's greatest burden in his life, if we were to read all that he wrote, was to fight Jewish legalists. They followed him everywhere he went and crept into the churches. There are four verses I give you again that if you remember these four, they're more than sufficient for a Berean. I don't know why in the world you would need more than these four to know that we are supposed to worship on the first day of the week and not the seventh day of the Israelite nation. The first verse we turn to is Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. After resurrection morning, there is not one positive thing said about the Sabbath day in the New Testament. Not one. The silence is what we say, deafening. The silence is deafening. If the Sabbath was so important, if there's any place in the Bible that needs a lot of reference to it, it would be the New Testament, because that's where Gentiles were brought into the church, and they wouldn't have known about this weekly ritual. They would have needed repetitive teaching to know that the Sabbath needed to be kept. They hadn't been raised with that thing. That was a, that was a custom and an ordinance of the Jewish nation. We come, we come to Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse 14 and then verses 16 and 17. And these are verses that you want to remember. 14. Jesus Christ on the cross blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. 
What are those ordinances, my brother Paul? Verse 16, let no man, therefore, because of, the, because of what is said in verse 14, taking them out of the way, nailing them to the cross, blotting out the handwriting, the handwriting, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Those things, meat, drink, holy days, new moons and Sabbath days especially, were shadows of things to come pointing forward to Christ, but Christ is here. Christ is the fulfillment. Christ is the body. Christ is the reality, the substance, the image that casts the shadow. And so once the reality was there, you didn't need the shadow any longer. Notice several things. 14 says they were taken out of the way. Verse 16 lists them, and it connects verses 14 and 16 by the word, therefore. Let no man therefore judge you. No one can tell you that you need to keep any of that the weak and beggarly ordinances of the Old Testament. You can eat pork. You can have pepperoni pizza. You can have a ham sandwich. You can have unkosher hot dogs. Yes, you can. Because meat and drink doesn't apply anymore. Let no man judge you. Or holy days. You don't have to keep Passover. You don't have to keep Tabernacle of Booths. You don't have to keep the new moons. You don't have to keep the Sabbath days. They were pointing forward to Christ and the reality is here. They were a shadow of good things to come, but the body is of Christ. The shadow was created by Christ. We don't need it anymore. So don't let any man judge you because Jesus took it out of the way. Amen. Now there's the apostle mentioning the Sabbath. He did mention it, didn't he? He said, don't let any man judge you about the Sabbath. The Sabbath days, every week, every week, the Sabbath day. Let's go over to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, I'm giving you four passages of Scripture. Galatians chapter 4. If you want to just look at the actual word Sabbath, these are the only times they're mentioned in the New Testament. And it's pretty obvious. Galatians 4. Here we don't have the word Sabbath, we just have the word days. Galatians 4, 9. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God... How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. This is the Apostle Paul in the middle of an epistle against Jewish legalists. He starts off Galatians chapter 4 by pointing out, that children, when they're very young, are under tutors and governors, and there's no way to easily recognize a difference between them and slaves. That's what he says in the first three verses. Verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, what are those elements of the world? It's the law of God. It's the schoolmaster of the Jewish religion. When we were children. But when we grew up and God gave us a mature system of religion, we didn't need that stuff anymore. They're called elements. The word elements is used here in verse 3 and it's used in verse 9. Elements means the elementary aspects of religion. Why are you wanting to be brought into bondage under elementary aspects of religion? In Colossians, the word is rudiment. Rudiments. 
Rudiments means the rudimentary aspects of religion. So we've got both by Paul. We've got elementary aspects. We've got rudimentary aspects of a childish religion. Because this is childish. That as long as you're a child, you're under tutors and governors, and you can't tell that you're really the heir. But once Jesus Christ came and secured the eternal inheritance for us and made it obvious, the heirs became obvious. They didn't need the childish institutions any longer. And so they passed away. And Paul is reasoning with them in verse, verses 9 through 11, why in the world are you going back under bondage again? You've been delivered from bondage. Why are you going back under it? They'll, they'll argue those days in verse, in chapter 4 and verse 9 are, are Christmas, Halloween, and Easter, and Valentine's Day. No, they aren't. That wasn't a problem in the churches of Galatia. The whole book of Galatia has nothing to do with them backsliding to Zeus, Jupiter, or Aphrodite. It was backsliding to Jewish days. The whole book. That's why context dictates how we read the Bible. Context. It was Jewish days. The bondage that is described in verse 9 is the bondage of verse 3. The elements of verse 9, the elements of verse 3. What's in verse 3? The law of God. What's in verse 21? Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law. The whole issue in Galatians chapter 4 is Christians taking on parts of Moses' law to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So what does Paul have to say? I fear, I'm afraid of you, that I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. My efforts as a minister of Jesus Christ to teach you the gospel look like they may have been in vain because you're adding things from Moses' law. We've been saved from that. Chapter 3 would tell us in verses 23 through 25, the law of Moses was a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. Once you graduate from school, you kiss the schoolmaster goodbye because you don't need him anymore. You're a big boy now. And a big boy doesn't worship in Jerusalem, which is compared to Mount Sinai and Hagar and Ishmael, as was read to us from the last 11 verses of the chapter. It's wonderful. We are saved from all that because we've grown up. Thank the God of heaven that he chose you to be born in the New Testament. He could have chosen you to have been born in the Old Testament and you would live your whole life as a child. Your conscience would never be perfectly solved as far as sin was concerned. Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10. But ours is perfectly solved because Jesus died and put away our sins once for all. He, He entered into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. That priest had to go in every year, year after year after year, because sins were not finally and fully put away. Now there's the two references to the Sabbath that Paul made. That's it. There are no more. He did refer to the seventh day in Hebrews chapter 4, that that wasn't the rest that David was talking about in Psalm 95. There is a third place, but it doesn't say Sabbath. It just says the seventh day. And a few weeks ago, I went over that with you from Psalm 95. In Psalm 95, it says God swore in his wrath that they should not enter into his rest. And and in Psalm 95, David is warning Israel not to be stubborn like their fathers were, lest they be left out of a rest that's coming. In Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul says, let's think about that rest. Is it the Sabbath day? He says, is it the seventh day? Because God worked six days and rested the seventh. It couldn't be. Because David wrote that 2,000 years after that event. Well, then, could it be Canaan? Could it be Canaan that that Joshua led the nation of Israel into, where their houses were built and their vineyards were planted and their wells were dug? Could that be the rest? No, 
Because David wrote that 500 years after Joshua did that. Well, it remaineth, therefore, that there is a rest for the people of God. There is a rest still hanging out there. And he says, they that believe the gospel do enter into his rest. When we believe the gospel, we enter into gospel rest. It's called the the day of salvation. It's called today. It's the greatest period in the history of the world religiously because Jesus Christ has finished the work of redemption and sat down. He's resting. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. You got it. Those are the three references to the seventh day by the Apostle Paul. Condemns them, and anyone judging you for them in Colossians says he's afraid that your entire conversion is going to be lost in Galatians 4, and says in Hebrews that it's fulfilled as from the rest standpoint in Jesus Christ's finished works. Heaven is not in Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. That is another rest that's coming. In Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, it describes in verse 3 and 10 that believers are entering into it right now because as soon as we believe on Christ, we cast aside our works as having nothing to do with our salvation and trust wholly on Jesus Christ. Okay, there's the three references to the seventh day and the Sabbath. What does it say? Condemned, condemned, fulfilled in Christ. Blotted out, taken out of the way, nailed to the cross. Weak, beggarly elements that create bondage. Short and sweet, we ain't Seventh-day Adventists. Amen. Nor their imitators. Listen, the Johnny-come-latelys that want to be Sabbatarians, they ain't got nothing on the Seventh-day Adventists. The Seventh-day Adventists have been writing treatises on the seventh day for 150 years. These Johnny-come-latelys, though, are getting so excited with the Old Testament, and we say, forget it. We're New Testament Christians. Every time they write me, my first sentence is, I'm sorry, but we are New Testament Gentile Christians, and you seem to be pretending that you are an Old Testament Jew following Moses. Why don't you come on over and join us? Amen. It's my always. It's so ridiculous for somebody to write us about the Sabbath. Why do they write us? They get all excited seeing that we don't celebrate Christmas, Easter, Halloween. And so they write and say, why don't you get rid of that other Catholic invention, the Sabbath day? Don't you know that in 300 the Catholic Church changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday and that we should go back to Saturday so that we can follow the Bible? That's a Seventh-day Adventist lie. Catholic Church never did it because Paul did it. And it wasn't 300 A.D., it was 50 A.D., it was 40 A.D., it was 30 A.D. when Jesus did it. There's no record of that whatsoever. It's a Seventh-day Adventist lie. Just like if you'll eat breakfast cereal instead of meat, you won't pollute yourself. That's another Seventh-day Adventist lie. I want to give credit where credit is due. No one ever put bark in a bowl and poured milk over it and called it food. No one. No one took grass out of a yard and put it in a bowl and poured milk over it and called it food until the Seventh-day Adventists came along because along with the seventh day, they also said you've got to keep the meat and drink laws of the Old Testament and just to be safe, let's be vegetarians. And all a man's problems are caused by self-pollution. I hope you can figure out what I'm talking about. And to get rid of self-pollution, all you need to do is, drink, is eat breakfast cereal instead of those hot meats that get people all inflamed in their lust. And so Dr. Kellogg John and Dr. Kellogg William 
at the headquarters of the Seventh-day Adventists in Battle Creek, Michigan, started making cereal, along with Sylvester Graham and Charles Post. And so you had all these little things coming out, grape nuts. Grape nuts, listen. It's just because they taste like pea gravel. You put grape nuts in a bowl and you pour milk over it and you think that's food. Give me some bacon and eggs and biscuits and gravy. And so Battle Creek became the cereal capital of the world. And if you don't believe what I'm telling you, just go punch in anything, any of the words I've just used. Put punch in Kellogg, punch in Seventh-day Adventist, punch in self-pollution, and you can find out how to cure all your problems. How did all that come? Because of Seventh-day Adventists, and I want to give credit where credit is due. People that are so superstitious that they're going to go back and resurrect a Saturday out of the Old Testament, they're going to do a whole lot of other things right along with it. Because I want you to notice that in Colossians chapter 2, and we have turned away from it, the Apostle Paul put meat laws and Sabbath day laws in the same sentence, didn't he? Right. Because they go together. If you're going to be a consistent Sabbatarian, you've got to give up your sausage and bacon. Because they go together, they stand or they fall together. Right. Three references. Are you, I've, you've got to learn them. Colossians 2, let no man judge you in respect of a Sabbath day because Jesus nailed it to the cross and he is the fulfillment of it. And when the real body gets here that casts a shadow, the shadow is no longer needed. 2, Galatians, your whole conversion is at stake if you go back and keep days of the Jewish elementary religion. 3, Jesus and his finished work of redemption is the real rest of Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Now, two references about the first day. Where is the first day of the week mentioned in the epistles of the New Testament? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. I went over this last Lord's Day, but I want you to learn these verses. Are they hid in your memory? Do you have them in your heart? Can you speak the certain words of truth, or do you say, I ain't no Seventh-day Adventist? Well, now that's a nice sentence, but can we do better than that? Can we have the certain words of truth to give to those that ask us a reason of the hope that is within us? We want to turn to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, the giving and taking of offerings of your gifts to the Lord for the poor saints. Now concerning the collection for the saints. As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul looked at the first day of every week, every seventh day, but it was the first day. Every seven days, the first day of the week, they were to lay by them in store as God had prospered them because their religious duty of giving was to be done on the first day of the week. Not the seventh, not the Sabbath, but the first day. And this just wasn't for Corinth. This was for all the churches of Galatia. And it was an apostolic order. It was not a matter of liberty. It was not a suggestion. It was other churches are doing this. Would you, brethren, like to follow? It's an order. And if Paul ordered it, Galatians 1 tells us, I certify you, brethren, that the things I teach I got directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ that worship by giving is done on the first day of the week. What better time is there to give when you have heard preaching? had the Lord's Supper, been in the fellowship of saints, and an appeal is made for poor saints in Judea. That's the time to give, first day of the week. We come over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Now, to a noble Berean, we've already covered enough ground. 
I'll take Sunday. I'll take the first day of the week. If Paul said the Sabbath is out twice, if he says that Christ has fulfilled it twice, and if he said he gave order for the first day of the week, then that's the day I want to worship on. Enough for me. Should be enough for anyone. Acts chapter 20, Luke, Paul, and others are sailing back toward Jerusalem. But they're over in Greece at the moment. And it says in verse 6, We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days. His little sailing trip took five days where we abode seven days. Those are words of the Holy Ghost. Where we abode seven days. Paul and Luke were seven days in Troas. That's a whole week, isn't it? That gets all the days of the week, doesn't it? And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Acts chapter 20 tells us that the church at Troas met, assembled on the first day of the week, and broke communion bread together when they assembled. The church has to come together in one place to have the Lord's Supper. We're taught that in 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 11. The word when there tells us that this was their ordinary custom and habit. Now notice, the Holy Ghost told us that Paul was there in Troas for seven days. That includes Saturday. But what did they do on Saturday? Nothing. Religiously, they worked. But when they came together to break bread, as was their custom, Paul came together with them and preached unto them till midnight. We have just covered the five references in the New Testament. There are no more. By New Testament, I mean the epistles of instruction to the churches. We just covered them. Notice what we've covered. Don't let any man judge you about Sabbath days. If you go back and start keeping the days of Moses, I'm afraid of your whole conversion. Jesus and his finished works are the day, are the rest that we have in Christ. I make an apostolic order that the churches do all their giving on the first day of the week, and we find Paul and the practice of the churches in the book of Acts to be the first day of the week. When did that start? When Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his assembled apostles on the first day of the week, John chapter 20 and verse 19, and blessed them and showed himself alive to them. And then other events happened like the next Sunday, and then five Sundays after that or six Sundays after that when the day of Pentecost came, that was a Sunday. There's the verses. That should be enough. If you're a Christian, you know the Old Testament has passed away, don't you? If you're you're a Christian, you know the Old Testament has passed away. There isn't a Jewish nation following all those laws. Those laws don't apply. There's no altar where animals are burned up. You don't cut their throat and bleed everything and stick your thumb in it and put it on your forehead and wander around sprinkling blood. You know that's passed away. You know that the book of Leviticus is for Levites, don't you? Primarily. We can, we can gather some principles out of it, but it's primarily for Levites. It's telling them how to perform tabernacle worship. Therefore, do you remember this? No matter how many times you read circumcision in the Old Testament, no matter how many times you read the word Sabbath, In the Old Testament, turtle doves, wave offering, goats, blood, altar, and incense, you know they don't apply to you today because you're a New Testament Christian. It's that simple. It doesn't matter if you can show me a thousand references for blood. The blood's already been shed and I shed no more. 
Jesus shed his blood and I don't have to offer up any more. I don't even need the so-called bloodless sacrifice of the Catholic Church. I don't need any of that because Jesus shed his blood once for all. You, I don't care if you show me a thousand references for blood. I'm not going to go kill my neighbor's dog and put the blood on my door. It doesn't matter how many times. You can show me 500 occurrences of the word Sabbath. It doesn't move me a bit. Those men that wrote the word Sabbath didn't have a clue about New Testament worship. The Bible tells us they didn't have a clue in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Those prophets did not know what or what manner of time the spirit that was in them did testify when it foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. I'm not being mean to Moses, David, and Isaiah. I'm just telling you the truth about them. But Jesus kept the Sabbath. Sure he did. He was a Jew, born in the nation of the Jews, under the laws of the Jews. Of course he kept the Sabbath. He was a minister of the circumcision. Of course he kept the Sabbath. Of course his mommy and daddy took him to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Because he was a Jew. That's why we have a verse like Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. He was under the law of that commandment. He kept the Sabbath day as a Jew. But as soon as he rose from the dead, what day did he meet his apostles on? And bless them and charge them to their work and give them the Holy Ghost the first day of the week. Because he was living in and he was starting the time of reformation. The Bible tells us in John 1.17, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus was initiating change. The Bible tells us about John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. They'll say, but Paul used the Sabbath in the book of Acts. Every city Paul would go to, he'd go into a synagogue on the Sabbath day. Yes, he did. And he tells us why. Because he was looking for people who worshipped God so that he could tell them they didn't need to keep the Sabbath anymore and they could start worshipping on Sunday the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us that. He was in there for evangelistic purposes. He was in there for recruiting purposes. He was in there for missionary endeavors. That's the only reason he went into a synagogue on the Sabbath day is because that's where monotheists were worshiping Jehovah with printed scriptures. And they would usually give a man an opportunity to get up and have a word of exhortation for the people. And he would get up and open the scriptures and say, these scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead. I'm an eyewitness of him. And he's calling upon all men to repent because their salvation has been completed through his finished work. And those that believed would follow him right out of the synagogue and they'd start worshiping on the first day of the week like the church at Troas. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 10 was read to us, but let's turn there again. Hebrews 9, 10. The true reformation changed the day of worship. Hebrews 9, 10. Which stood only in meats and drinks. This is the old covenant. This is Moses' worship. Did Did you listen carefully when that was read to you? It's a powerful passage. It says in verse 1, Then verily, it's true that there was another way of worship in the Old Testament. Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. When you read the New Testament, Paul's writings, and he says elements of the world and rudiments of the world, they get, Sabbatarians get really upset that you're calling their Sabbath worship an elementary aspect of worldly religion. And a rudimentary aspect of worldly religion. Is worshiping on Saturday worldly? Absolutely. 
Where do we get that from? Well, we get it from Colossians chapter 2 and Galatians 4, because it's stated there, but we get it from verse 1 of Hebrews 9, where it says, what kind of a tabernacle did they have? What kind of a sanctuary did they have? In Hebrews 9.1. It was a worldly sanctuary. It was worldly. Anything you were doing there was a worldly form of religion. It was a sensual form of religion. You smelled it. You tasted it. You heard it. You touched it. You ate it. It was worldly. That's why it's called carnal. Look at verse 10. Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and what kind of ordinances? Carnal ordinances. What does the word carnal mean? The opposite of spiritual. What does carnal mean? Your physical body. Body related. That's why we say that. That's why Paul said it. Which stood only in meats and drinks. The whole Old Testament ceremonial law stood, the whole thing, was only meats and drinks and divers, washings and carnal ordinances, including the Sabbath, imposed on them until the time of Reformation. That was imposed on the nation of Israel for 1,500 years until John, Jesus, and the apostles came and reformed the worship of God. Jesus told the woman of Samaria, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when they're not going to be worshiping God correctly in Jerusalem. Because God is seeking those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth, and you can't worship in spirit with carnal ordinances. That's why our church services are so simplistic compared to the carnality of the Old Testament. That's right. Theirs was smoke, incense, blue robes, pomegranate bells, compartments and candlesticks and incense and lavers and spoons and gold and meat and fat and knives and blood and flies. It was just carnal. But ours is spiritual. It's from the inside. It's worshiping God. I can go straight into the presence of God right now while I'm talking to you on another track of my mind telling God that I love Him and I can go straight into His presence by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It does, I don't need a building. I don't need a veil. I don't need an altar. All that's been done for me by Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. But notice what it says here in that 10th verse of chapter 9 stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. We make the statement so many times, the Reformation that we count on and the Reformation that we trust is not the one that was initiated by Martin Luther in 1517, or whatever year it was, I think I'm close, in Germany, in Wittenberg, Germany, when he nailed 95 Thesis on the door of the church in that town, the Reformation we count on is this one right here. Amen. This is when religion changed, changed, and since this event, there has been a string of Baptist churches similar to ours that have existed throughout, that have existed in the world until today. God did not leave His church to be lost, and there was historical records of them being hid away in the nations of Europe during the Dark Ages. But this is the Reformation we trust. This is when John, Jesus, and the Apostles changed things. We had another passage read to us, chapter 12. Just turn over two pages if you have a small print Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, we had a passage read to us that says in verse 18, Ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched. That was Mount Sinai. A Sabbatarian chooses Mount Sinai. We choose Mount Zion. And the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion is enormous. Amen. This is Paul reasoning with Jews. You haven't, Christianity hasn't brought you to Mount Zion. 
Not to that terrible mount that even Moses was afraid of. It was burning. There was a tempest. There was a storm. There was smoke. There was darkness. There was blackness. The Bible tells us there was a trumpet sound that got louder and louder and louder until it was breaking your eardrums. And the whole mountain was shaking. And the whole top of it looked like a fiery furnace. Even Moses said, according to this text, that I exceedingly fear and quake. That's the Old Testament. Because do you know what that law was saying? If you don't keep every bit of this law... You die. And if even a beast, if your little puppy dog got loose and ran past a rope that they had around the base of Mount Sinai, that little puppy dog was to be thrust through with darts. It was horrible. But the apostle is saying, we haven't come to that mountain. We've come to a new one. Listen, when you've got to keep the Sabbath day and if you miss keeping it, you get killed and then go to hell. That is one horrible religion. Or at least in your mind you're going to go to hell because your conscience can never be pure because you're wondering if you're going to keep the next Sabbath day the right way. You're scared the whole time. Then Jesus comes. He's our permanent rest because He finished all the works of redemption. We don't have to be afraid ever. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has torment, but God has saved us from that. You aren't come to that mountain. We've come to Mount Zion. And it says that in verse 22, but ye are coming to Mount Zion. Verses 18, 19, 20, and 21 are all negative descriptions of the horror of Mount Sinai when the Sabbath commandment was given. Verses 22 through 24 are the beauty and the glory of the heavenly Jerusalem that we are now related to. We have Mount Zion. That's where David took the stronghold of Zion. The battle fortress called Jebus and renamed it Jerusalem. So that it was like, it was named like it was in the days of Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem. The city meaning peace in its shortened version. That's what we've come to. And you know, Paul quotes Haggai to prove it, that there had been a violent shaking of the heavens and the earth to change things religiously. I say to Sabbatarians, why are you choosing Mount Sinai? Look at the comparison. Come and join me on Mount Zion. There's been a big change in things. The temporary things of the Sabbath day have been shaken away so that the permanent things can stay. And what are the permanent things? The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is worshipped on the Lord's day because the Lord's day is the first day of the week when the Lord Jesus Christ was honored. Sabbatarians are kin to other Sinai lovers. And I want to state again something I've already said, but I want to say it again. There is a mad rush right now in many circles to go back to Old Testament furniture, tabernacles, temples, build models, and hire these so-called experts to come in to tell you things about them that even Paul didn't know. Because do you know what Paul says about the cherubim in Hebrews 9? Of which we cannot now speak particularly. There's not enough time nor pages in what I want to write to you Hebrews to waste time going into those cherubim. He didn't do it. But they do it. Why do you want to go back and look at a shadow? What can you tell about my wife from a shadow? Depending on where the sun is, she might look 20 feet tall. Depending on how she's positioned her silhouette, she might look wider than she is. What are we going to tell about something from its shadow? But there they are. They've gone back and they're sucking from the teats of Moses. They've gone back to Mount Sinai and set up camp. I want to be on Mount Zion. 
I want to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, the better blood of sprinkling, a mega church of the first of those that are in heaven, whose names are written in heaven, the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, let me tell you something really good. If you think I'm making fun of Moses, do you know where Moses is right now? He's on Mount Zion. He's not on Sinai. He's in Mount Zion because he's one of the spirits of a just man made perfect. I'm in fellowship with Moses, not by going via Mount Sinai, but by going via Mount Zion. Here's an obscure passage. Turn to Matthew 9. Turn to Matthew 9. Oh, sorry for flipping so many pages. Our little two-page document that was once on the website is now 22 pages because the, the New Testament is full of so much information about the change in religion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft? But thy disciples fast not. Jesus said unto them, Can the chamber, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break. And the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. You don't take an old garment that's been washed 30 times, and have, it has a tear in it, and take a new piece of cloth, and sew it onto that hole, because when that new piece of cloth shrinks from a few washings, it's going to tear the hole worse than it was the first time. First, first little parable. It's called a parable in another place. The second one is, you don't take an old wine bag, and they used animal skins in those days. They didn't have bottles. They would take a great big animal skin, tie two of them together, hang them over a camel, and a camel could carry 50, 100 gallons of fluid or wine in big bottles. But you don't use one over and over again, and it, gets thin, it thins out by age. Then you pour new wine into it, and as that new wine ferments, it blows the bottle out. You lose your wine, you lose your bottle. Right. What does that mean? The, the Old Testament religion of Moses and the Pharisees does not belong with the New Testament religion of Jesus and his apostles. If you try to mix the two, you lose them both. Yes. Right. You've either got to be Moses and the Sabbath, or you've got to be Christ in the first day of the week. You can't have them both. You've got to be law, or you've got to be grace. You've got to be by works, or you've got to be by faith. You can't mix the two. Or you, you lose them both. That's why I say you're either a Christian or a Sabbatarian. You either have Christ or you have the Sabbath. You can't have them both. They don't go together. They're contrary to each other. They tear at each other. A Sabbath commandment takes you back to Mount Sinai, and we're on Mount Zion. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm almost done. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. There was a problem with you and me relative to the promises of God and the fellowship of saints. And that was a whole string of carnal ordinances that separated the real people of God from you and me. There was a string of commandments that God gave the nation of Israel that we didn't have. And because they were for them and they weren't for us, there was a, there was a division there. There was a gulf that we couldn't get over. Ephesians chapter 2 describes it. It says in verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ. 
Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't born in Israel. You weren't circumcised. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. Because all of God's dealings were with the nation of Israel. They were his chosen people. We were as good as Philistines. All of us. But now, verse 13, Now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace. Jesus Christ took all those carnal ordinances that identified Israel as a unique nation and the unique property of God, nailed them to his cross, took them out of the way, got rid of the enmity, so that the twain, Jews and Gentiles, could become one body in Christ. And if we resurrect the Sabbath, we are then putting a, something between the two again that doesn't belong there, that Jesus nailed to his cross and abolished. Because that was an institution for Israel only. That was last Sunday, and I'm not going there again, but I hope you remember that the Sabbath was for Israel only, and if you resurrect it again, it's for Israel only, and you're separating Gentiles. But all those carnal ordinances were blotted out. Never forget that Ephesians and Colossians are fraternal twin epistles. And so the language right here in Ephesians 2 is very similar to Colossians 2. The Apostle Paul said, They think they have confidence in the flesh. I more. They think they're Hebrews, I more. They think they're Jews, I more. I'm a Pharisee, and I'm the son of a Pharisee. Zealous according to all the tradition of the fathers, did Paul keep the Sabbath day as Saul of Tarsus? Indeed he did. But when he heard of Christ, what did he call the Sabbath? Dung. Dung. I count all things but loss for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, I do count them but dung. All the accomplishments he had in the Jewish religion and all the ordinances of the ceremonial laws of the Jews, he counted as dung. Thank you, Lord, for being so plain with us. Sabbatarians are Hagar and Ishmael. If you listen to Galatians 4, Christians are Sarah and Isaac. And what does the Bible say? What part of the Bible says it? The law says it. Did you notice? Did you notice that? Paul said, you that want to be under the law, have you read what the law says? That Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, that's Hagar and Ishmael, one by a free woman, that's Sarah and Isaac. One was in the flesh, one was by the promise of God. They both grew up. Ishmael persecuted little Isaac. They were 17 and 5, and the 17-year-old picked on the 5-year-old at his weaning. And Paul said, it's the same way today. They're chasing me around into all the churches uh, where, the, where the freeborn children like Isaac are located, and they're persecuting them. But let me tell you what your law says. Your law says, the, ch- the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman, so get out of town. So you Sabbatarians don't belong with Christians. Get out of town. You cannot inherit gospel blessings by bringing the Sabbath in. Do you follow that? We could spend hours on We could spend days on this. The Bible is so full of it. Amen. Do Sabbatarians keep the Sabbath rules? Nope. You know, it's like the Charismatics. 
They're talking about speaking in tongues all the time. But they never keep the rules for tongues. They all want to speak in tongues, the lowest gift in the church, but they don't keep the rules that 1 Corinthians 14 has. If you're going to be a Sabbatarian, you cannot prepare food on the Sabbath day. You can't eat out and you can't order in. Exodus 20 and verse 10. You can't do any work under penalty of death. You can't turn the heat on. Exodus 35.3. You can't cut the grass. You can't move or transport anything. Jeremiah 17.21 through 22. And if you're honest, you have to work every Sunday. <laughs> oh, yes. Because if you're going to keep the Sabbath day, the Lord when he gave the Sabbath commandment, six days shalt thou labor, and the seventh you won't labor. So if you're going to keep the Sabbath, you have to work on Sunday. Right. And you know what? If you're really honest, you're going to take every seventh year off and quit your job. Right. It's the year of release. And every 50th year, you're going to do it two years in a row. That's enough. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. We thank thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen who grew up under the laws of Moses and kept every single one of them perfectly and then went to the cross of Calvary and nailed those carnal ordinances to that cross, taking them out of the way, taking away the enmity and slaying it thereby and abolished those ordinances that kept us from you. We were strangers from your covenants of promise, but by Christ we have been brought in to Mount Zion. We are one body through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for the first day of the week. We thank you to remember the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that Paul made things so clear for us. And we pray that we will never forget these things. Our Father in heaven, have mercy upon us to stand fast and to hold earnestly and to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints. Let us not be enamored with the furniture of the tabernacle. Let us be enamored with the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary where He entered once by the eternal Spirit and offered Himself without spot to Thee, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And if we will believe the Gospel, we do enter into permanent rest. We thank You for a kingdom that You've given us that shall never be moved. And Heavenly Father, give us grace and let us take that grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We thank You for the plain Scriptures of the New Testament. We thank you for the time of Reformation. We thank you for the heavenly Jerusalem. And we thank you that we are the children of the free woman by promise. Heavenly Father, bless us to hold these things fast and keep this church faithful, looking always unto the Lord Jesus Christ that in all things He might have the preeminence forever. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.